Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today's episode is brought to you by Uni, a company known for bringing portable pizza ovens to backyards all over the world. It used to be that to get an authentic Neapolitan-style pie, you either had to wait in line at a wood-fire pizzeria or get on a plane to Naples. But Uni changed all that. Founded in 2012, the company launched the world's first portable pellet pizza oven that can heat up to 950 degrees Fahrenheit, the searing temperature needed to get a bubbly, thin-crust Neapolitan pizza. Over the years, Uni Pizza Ovens have continued to define the category with carbon steel shell for insulation, optimized airflow engineering, precise temperature control, and new models with different fuel options, wood, charcoal, and gas, to suit the needs of every outdoor cook. The latest model, the super versatile Uni Karu 16 multi-fuel oven, makes it so that you can choose between three fuels, fire to fire. So on days when you have time to chill out with a glass of wine in the wood smoke, as your log heats up, you can. And for those nights when you're in a rush, all you have to do is hook up the gas, and at the time it takes to shape your dough and chop some topping, your uni oven will be ready to go. Learn more at uni.com. That's O-O-N-I dot com. Welcome to the Modernist Pizza Podcast. This is Episode 9, La Boca and Tokyo Marinara, the wide world of pizza. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Along with Nathan Mirvold, founder of Modernist Cuisine, and its head chef, Francisco Magoya, who together co-authored Modernist Pizza, a 1,700-page book about the art, history, and science of pizza, we'll chew over the world's most popular food with the people who have been part of its story past and are shaping its yet-to-be-told future. Pizza is a universal language, one of love and legend. We'll start with a trip to South America by way of Argentina and Brazil. No, we're not doing this alphabetically, but rather chronologically. 
first pizzas sold on Buenos Aires were by Don Augustine Bonchero at his bakery on Olivaria Street in 1893, who, surprisingly, was a Genoan immigrant, not Neapolitan. Bonchero, a standalone pizzeria, wasn't opened until the 1930s in the La Boca Port area. Whereas Brazil's pizza culture dates back to the early 1900s, thanks to an influx of immigrants from Campania, here, the style is personal pies served at dinner only and eaten with a knife and fork. In Japan, there's an emergence of Tokyo-style marinara, a 50-50 ratio tomato sauce to olive oil. But what seems to be most important there is the experience, or as they call it, omotenashi. And of course, we're going to talk about Italy. But what is there to say that hasn't been said already? A lot, it seems. We'll hear from modern-day masters, a chef in Rome applying modernist techniques to toppings, as well as the making of mountain pies in the hills between Venice and the Dolomites. But first, Francisco interprets the many styles of Argentine pizza. Well, there's al molde, which means, al molde means in the mold or in a pan. And so that's a pretty thick crust sandwich-like dough pizza with sauce, but the abundance of cheese, like nobody's business. I mean, so much cheese that when you cut a slice, it basically drapes the slice with the melted cheese. Then you have fugaceta, which is almost like a focaccia that is stuffed with caramelized onions and then also topped with onions. A very, very interesting addition to pizza is this chickpea crepe. Some people call it panisse. They call it faina. It's baked in a similar pan as what you would bake the pizza in, like a round pan. It's chickpea flour with water, salt, baked, and then that goes on top of your slice, and it's called a caballo, which means on a horse. There's a pizza that's called canchera, which means from the soccer field, because that's originally where they were sold on soccer fields. And it's a very simple but delicious thick crust pizza, but just with tomato sauce and anchovies, oregano, olive oil. And so there is a huge tradition of, of these like thicker crust pizzas throughout Buenos Aires. It seems to be the preferred form, although the younger generation of Argentinians are starting to look for more in the style of Neapolitan. Porteños take their pizza very seriously. Like New York, B.A. is a slice culture, eating while standing at the counter, which seems adverse to the heaping styles of pizza they serve. Ricardo Almoso is a journalist based in Buenos Aires. Born in Patagonia, he moved to Argentina's capital and, in essence, to the epicenter of its pizza traditions. But he already had them in his blood. His mother's maiden name is genuine, as is the base pie of B.A. Fugasa it's actually, it's like a, the grandfather of uh, one popular pizza style here, which is a white pizza pie with some onions and a little, you know, salt, oregano, and some oil sprinkled on it. That's a basic Genoan Fugasa. In, in Buenos Aires, this mostly became Fugaceta, but even more popular than that, it's Fugaceta Regina which means stuffed fugaceta, which is a thick fugasa pie stuffed with cheese and sometimes York ham. And then on top of it, the baked onions. And it's like a staple in many pizzerias in Buenos Aires. It's different from, from the American customs in, in, in that. We sit down and we, we sit down in a restaurant. We like stay 
I could say for hours. I mean, because we have, you know, there's one Spanish thing or Italian also. We share it's a custom that's called sobremesa. Sobremesa means to stay at the table where you had some food with friends and keep on talking and, you know, and chatting and fixing the world after you start, you, you, you finish your meal. Now, can you tell me what demolde is? Demolde is actually, um, I would say it's the most popular pizza style in Buenos Aires, which is thicker, spongy pie with, you know, a generous amount of tomato sauce. For other standards, a kind of a big heap of mozzarella cheese on it. The, you know, the difference with, you know, with that, you mentioned the New York style pizza. You can't bend that with your fingers and make it like a, like a cone, you know, and eat it. I mean, you can, you can hold it in your hand too, but it's, uh, it's so thick and uh, with, you know, so much cheese that you would probably need, you know, a fork and a knife to, to eat it. There are so many styles there because we, we still haven't mentioned two others as well. And that's uh, a la piedra and a la perilla. Can you tell me about those two different styles? A la piedra is, is the thin crust. It's one of my favorites here in Buenos Aires on a pizzeria called Los Inmortales, the Immortals. It is, you know, the less popular of the two main kinds of pie. It's more, you know, toasted in the bottom and, and on the rind, right? On, on the cornicione, right? And you can eat more slices of that comparing to the molde, right? Because it's thinner. And pizza a la parrilla or on the grills pizza. It's, it's like a modern thing, you know. A chef here who's called Danilo Ferraz, he owns several you know, restaurants and a pizzeria. And he, like, kind of professionally started to grill pizzas, you know, and it's, it's like a modern gourmet uh, kind of pizza because it, it, it's a very thin pie. It's, it's almost like a cracker. Some of his styles of his flavors could be, you know, mozzarella, blood sausage, and pears. That kind of a more... Uh, you know, modern stuff, if you want. It's a, it's a nice, it's a really nice pizza, tasty too. You mentioned some interesting toppings like morcia, but I think one of the more interesting ones for me is the whole olives with the pits. Um, how often <laughs> do you find that on a pizza? Maybe if you go to a, a more modern pizzeria, meaning a place that doesn't have 70 years old, you know, a place that maybe opened in the last five years, they, I think they, they put some, you know, uh, pitless olives, which you can find here. Yeah, the olive is, um, I don't know, it's like, uh, like a strawberry on top of a dessert. <laughs> yeah, yeah a cherry I, on top. Yeah, cherry on top. Yeah. Many of the most conspicuous, you know, older pizzerias in, in Buenos Aires, downtown, Garin, uh, Las Cuartetas, um, Los Inmortales, the, the owners, at some point were uh, Spanish immigrants. So they, they kind of added, you know, their, their little addition to it. In many pizzerias, you, maybe they, they, they give you the pizza without the olives. It's, it's not like it's mandatory, but it used to be. That's kind of changing a little, you know, slowly, but changing. 
Bogdanosmendi of Roma Pizzeria runs on pizza. He's created a pizza marathon, wrote a book called Nuestra Pizza, Una Pasión Redonda, revived an old bar as an ode to Pizza Porteño's past and present. I'm one of the creators and organize, or, or one of the guys that organized the Maratón de la Pizza. It was an event run for seven editions in Buenos Aires that connect uh, some of the more traditional uh, pizzerias in Buenos Aires. You have to walk all Avenida Corrientes, stopping in seven or eight pizzerias trying a slice of pizza, and then uh, people bought the best. Pizza Porcenio first is an adaptation of the original pizza from Italy, of course. Uh, it's uh, the origin of the pizza in Buenos Aires. It's linked with the Italians, of course. Uh, there is a link with the Italians from the north of Italy, more than the Italian from the south of Italy. So we start making more a pizza more like a focaccia, than a Napolitana pizza. For me, what is the most traditional pizza porteña? It's a pizza that you cook in big ovens, not like the small uh, Napolitan ovens. It's a pizza uh, that you made it by Al Molde. We call Al Molde. It's not as big as New York, New York pizza, but not as small as the Napolitana pizza. It's a pizza you can share. In, that in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, we like to, to mix the ingredients, not use the traditional Italian ingredients, like only cheese, tomato, uh, basil, potato. We, we like to, to mix in, in, in the pizza other ingredients like um, spinach or, or salsa or bechamel and salami and a lot of things that maybe you don't, you don't find in the traditional Napolitan pizza. Banchero was a, it's a pizzeria that it's in La Boca. La Boca was the most important Italian neighborhood in, in Argentina, in Buenos Aires. The port, the most important port of Buenos Aires was in La Boca. And the nightlife, like the cultural nightlife of Buenos Aires was centered in La Boca. Osmendi is trying to bring back some of that nightlife with his bar, preserving a cultural aspect of pizza while opening it up to interpretation. Roma de la Basta, it's a bar uh, like founded in the 1927 as a bar, you know, the typical neighborhood bar when you can go to have a coffee, to have a sandwich. It's, uh, it's interesting because it's a bar that was al always ruled by, uh, like owned by Spanish immigrants, not by Italians, but the name is Roma. And the last owners of the bar were two uh, Spanish guys that owned the bar for more than 60 years. We find the bar in the 2019, and we decide to, to reopen the bar, you know, to take the bar from these guys that were very old, 93 and 85 years, and respect the tradition and the identity of the place that was like having a coffee, having a sandwich, having a, something to eat, like simple, and open from the morning to the night. We decide to to put or to serve also empanadas and pizza and to make traditional Argentinian empanadas and to make pizza porteña. That is something we have a lot. You have here in Buenos Aires a lot of traditional pizzerias, but you don't have like new projects that make pizza porteña. Is your heritage Italian, Spanish? My heritage, it's a mix of French, Spanish, Italian, 
and yeah, and in and Basque. So it's typical criollo Argentino. Why do you care so much about preserving Argentinian style pizza? One of the things I, I think I discovered in the pizza Portenia that the in in Buenos Aires that we are a mix of cultures, so we get used always to mix the things, to mix the Italian with the Spanish, with the Jewish, with the with the Arabs, with with the Koreans, with every immigrant we mix here in peace, you know. And this idea of freedom and creativity in the pizza for me it's very important because you find you know that the Italians, the Napolitans say this is pizza, this is not pizza. You know, you cannot put this in pizza because if you put this in pizza, it's not a traditional pizza in Roma, in my bar. So we make like traditional pizzas like, for example, like fuaceta or fuaceta rellena that is typical from Argentina. But also we say, why we cannot put some, I don't know, like brie and, and asparagus. And we make this pizza in homage oh, to Carlos Gardel, that is one of the most famous singers of tango in Argentina. Or why don't we, if we have the Napolitana pizza, that is the tra- one of the traditional pizzas in Argentina, that in Buenos Aires, that is with a, with mozzarella, tom- a slice of tomato, garlic. Um, but when we we made a Napolitana, a, a, a summer Napolitana and a winter Napolitana. Uh, so, like, this idea of, like, to be a little bit creative and... and and take some freedom, you know, like from tradition. Fernando Greco lives in New York City, but his pizza heritage comes from that of his father, whose pizzeria in Buenos Aires was named Traca Traca. He's trying to find his place in the States by reinstating Argentinian-style pizza in his own life. If you follow him on the OG underscore Papa Fern, that's OG underscore P-A-P-A-F-E-R-N, you can find out more about his Pizza La Imperial project. I was born and raised in the capital, Buenos Aires. Well, I lived in Argentina 10 years. Then I moved to the other side of General Paz, making it the province of Buenos Aires. I was three blocks away from the technical capital. Half of my life in Argentina, I was in the capital. and the other half, I was in the province. Uh, and then when I was 10 years old, I came to New York. So my dad pizzeria was also two blocks away from the capital on the province side, on the other side of General Paz. So his pizzeria's name was Traca Traca. Yeah, because I came here when I was 10 years old. I went back as an adult. So my language, Spanish language ability was that of a fifth grader minus all the stuff I forgot. To my parents, I only spoke in Spanish, so I was still able to communicate, right? But there was a lot of words I did not know. There were no technical words. You know, I didn't know how to take the bus from my house to the stadium of Racing Club to go watch a game. I had to be, like, driven everywhere to, to know how to go from place to place. And so I felt like a foreigner in my own country, you know? I felt like I needed to connect to my own culture. He went back in 97. I went to visit him in 99. I went to visit him in 2000. And I stayed for like a month each time. And then I said, you know what? Next year I'm going to come back. I'm going to stay six months. I'm going to get back in touch with my culture. I'm going to start making pizza, cooking Argentinian style, and also 
I wanted to go to every game, soccer game of my team, Racing Club, to get back in contact with like my culture and be a real Argentinian. So that's how uh, I started making pizza again. In the moment of felicity, Greco met Nicole Russell of Last Dragon Pizza, featured in episode two, who then introduced him to Nino Coniglio, a Brooklyn pizza crew, who was intrigued by pizza porteños and is hoping to help Greco let that proliferate. I mean, that's a big thing. Nino is the only guy that's ever worked for Dom DeMarco. Mm-hmm. He won Pizza Maker of the Year in 2016. Did you know who he was? Did you know that you were talking to royalty? When he introduced himself, he told me, you know, just a little bit of who he was. Um, but I had no idea until later. But he didn't know what Argentinian pizza was. No, he didn't know. Were you surprised by that? Not at all. Not too many people know what Argentinian pizza is. By the looks of it, it, it looks like fast food pizza, you know, like you would get from a chain store. But the toppings are different and the methods are different. But my goal is for the style to be known in the United States. Now, are there large Argentinian communities in the States, in New York, where you live? No, no. Back in the 80s when we moved here, there was like a little Argentina and there was a pizzeria on the corner of Junction and Corona. It was called Don Chicho. So I I stayed in Argentina for five years. It wasn't really six months because I started dating someone and and the six months turned into five years. But when I came back from Argentina, my goal was to establish an official supporters club for my team in Argentina here in New York. So the first place that I went to was Pizzeria Don Chicho, and I asked them if it would be okay for us to come every time my team played and watch the games on TV and eat pizza. So soccer and pizza. Yes. Uh, I'm surprised you don't have pizzas named after Maradona and Messi. Or do you? Well, no. I have one called uh, LGI, which stands for La Guardia Imperial. That is what the fans of my team are called. And a saying in Spanish is when you have a lot of aguante, aguante is like like you support and I don't even know how, to, how, to, how it translates, but it really means, again, something not very politically correct, to have a lot of balls. So... In Spanish, balls are called huevos, so I made a pizza with uh, fried eggs on top because it has a lot of huevos, and I called it La Guardia Imperial. You can find Greco clad in sky blue and white vertical stripes, the colors of his soccer team, and you recognize his pizzas dressed up in traditional toppings, too. Argentinian pizza is very, like, you either love it or you hate it. There's no like in-betweens. You know, Argentinian pizza was made in Argentina since before margarita pizza was invented. So the first documented pizza in Argentina was sold in 1882. Queen Margarita did not get her pizza yet. And I think that that's something to be proud of. 
And that's something that needs to be known outside of Argentina. It's about 2,000 kilometers from northern Argentina to southern Brazil. But their pizza cultures seem a world apart. In Sao Paulo, there are 8,000 pizzerias in a city of 20 million people. Pizza is upscale. Sit-down, white tablecloth restaurants operating for dinner only. And the pizza is meant to be cut with a knife and fork. And there are toppings like hearts of palm, hard-boiled eggs, and tuna. But it's their national brand of cheese, catapuri, which is deemed most interesting, even by local palestanos. Raffaele Mostaccioli, a bread baker from the Amalfi Coast, brought the idea of sourdough pizza into the local lexicon at Bras Quintal, one of a collection of 10 Bras outlets changing the air of pizza in Brazil forever. Well, literally, I was born in flour. Uh, I come from a fourth generation family of bakers. Uh, my grandfather, besides the baker in grocery shop, had a mill. So most of the flour was milled in-house. Uh, though my father had two or three employees, it was a family business. And my mother and sisters were involved too. So my first pizza experience was with my father's pizzas. I must say that although Naples is only 50 kilometers away, it was not a Napolitan pizza as we, did, as we know it today. It was something between in, in Pala alla Romana, pizza in Pala alla Romana and al taglio. Uh, the oven was a firewood oven and the pizza was baked directly on the floor. Uh, one very interesting feature is that all in all it was a bakery, not a pizzeria. <laughs> so there was no menu. The customers provided their own toppings and of course it was taken away of course, no fork or knife, just hands. 2005, I left the hotel industry and decided to go back to my origins. The sourdough was not well known and understood here in Sao Paulo. So I opened a small atelier uh, called Isapori del Pane, specialized in sourdough. From 2011, I started working as a consultant as well. And in that same year, I made the first sourdough pizza with a 48-hour fermentation for a new restaurant pizzeria. People and critics liked it so. In 2012, I asked Brass whether they were interested in introducing sourdough in their pizzerias. And here I am till today. Paul Cho, a Brazilian native whose family is from Korea, worked at Braz Electrica, part of the Braz family, known for using an electric oven and selling pizza by the slice, something unheard of in Sao Paulo. He's trying to open his own pizzeria and wants to shift the premise of pizza to a more casual affair, a true tectonic shift in this country. Giovanna Mangiabera of Creative Cuisine interprets. Agora estou mais interessado em slice shops, né? Tipo, estilo novaiokinos. So he's, uh, for his business that he's open, so he's very interesting in New York style, uh, already slice uh, pizzas. Brasa elétrica é um tipo de pizza que a gente fala neonapolitana, né? Que as pessoas falam que é uma mistura de, no de Nova York com Itália. 
So uh, at Brasiletrica, he, he does uh, the new Napoleon style. They take the bridge from New York style with the Napoleon style. Uh, so, individual, né? so it's an individual pizza. It's, a, it's the same way as the Napoleon style, but with an electrical oven. Why did you choose to use an electric oven? Mas foi porque é um, um peça-chave, é, coisa rápida, né? Era um forno que atingia 480 graus, sem lenha, com praticidade. So, was an old project because was they were looking for a thing that was very quick uh, to make and the oven could uh, get to 80, 80 degrees. So it was something very fast for them to, to have a high production. Is that because the culture of how people eat pizza in Brazil is changing? Or did you just want to bring a New York slice with a Neapolitan influence to Brazil? Da Brasilética. No Brasilética, foi querendo mudar a cultura mesmo. Porque a gente queria que o pessoal comesse pizza o dia inteiro, né? Porque o brasileiro costuma comer pizza só à noite, principalmente de final de semana. They wanted to make that to change the culture because Brazilian people just use uh, just eat pizza for uh, night time, and bringing that to Brasiletica as a, a pizza chain that you have that for lunch, for afternoon, and for night time. So they see it was something for change the way we eat pizza. They want to to make a new culture. And to eat pizza by the hand, which is not common here. Ah, o projeto está focado em estilo novaiokino, de slice, né? Ingredientes bem simples. Mussarela de qualidade, fio de latte de qualidade, mão de tomate e peperoni. Eu não vou usar calabresa, então é foco em produtos que é usado lá. Porém, do Brasil, né? Mussarela? É, mussarela, é, tipo, mussarela, margarita, peperoni, pizza picante. So they're looking for simple ingredients, but with a high quality. Uh, they're looking for a uh, good mozzarella, for the latte, uh, tomato sauce, uh, pepperoni. Fazendo Itaim, que é um flagship, uma loja maior, mais conceituada. A partir daí, e nas lojas menores. Their uh, future uh, project is to have a pizza chain in Brazil of New York Slice Pizza. Mm. What are you going to name it? Or are you not allowed to say? Você pode falar o nome? Sim, chama Paul's Boutique. It calls Paul's Boutique. What's your favorite Beastie Bows song? Ah, tem qualquer No Sleep to Brooklyn. There's a photo from 1987 taken by Lynn Goldsmith of Mike D, MCA and Ad-Rock, aka the Beastie Boys outside of Stromboli Pizzeria in New York City's East Village. Over the past 35 years, tastes have changed, though the Beastie Boys are eternal. Cho stage at Roberta's in Brooklyn, which intrinsically is not a New York slice, but just like back in Brazil, the bounds of what pizza is is ever-changing, and dare I say, becoming intergalactic. Luciano Nardelli of Carlos Pizza is a chef who's bringing his kitchen acumen to the menu. While he's introducing new flavors to Brazil, he's trying to stay local to ingredients and less so to sentiment. Giovanna Mangiabera helps translate, but also adds her own perspective. The normal pizza here is a pizza with a lot of cheese. It's not 
like the Napolitana style or like we do here in, in Carlos is uh, is different because it's uh, they are bigger and with a lot of stuff that's uh, I think that's for me the, the the style of the pizza in in São Paulo because some Brazil is huge so in Rio is different in the north is different and in the south is different but if we talk about São Paulo I think uh, this is the, the the most popular style of pizza yeah I think it's a full of combination flavors um, you can put different um, cheese and plus whatever uh, flavors they want for example chicken with uh, with cheese or hard uh, palms with cheese so it's it's important to have more um, big things on the pizza instead of the dough I think it's more important yes. to have more flavor yes, than than the dough well uh, the dough uh, we made with Italian flour the tomato the sauce the tomato sauce we made with fresh tomato sauce we don't buy um, uh, tomato sauce from Italy we don't make Napolitanan style because Napolitanan style you have to use the tomato, the pelaccio tomato. Uh, and we don't use because I don't like uh, that kind of tomato. I, I like the fresh tomato from here. And, and we, we, we bake in the, in, the, in the good oven. So it's, it's, a, it's a particular sauce. And then the other stuff like the cheeses and the, the ham, we look uh, we look for local products, right? We we have a, like a, a program. Uh, it's uh, the name is Stufa Circular. We help a, a little farmers near São Paulo because ninety percent of the tomato or the fresh tomato that they come from the northeast, right? Uh, because there the the climb the, is, is, is better to the tomato because a lot of sun, very hot, very warm. Here in Sao Paulo, it's difficult because it's the opposite. The So she's saying that uh, the northeast is very good for, um, for uh, growing um, uh, tomatoes. In here, um, the farmer is looking for the greenhouses to make it because the weather is not, it's, it's a problem here. We don't use uh, hard palm here, okay? But I love hard palm, but not in pizza. We try to make classic pizza, right? We are not like a Brazilian uh, style. So we don't have um, sweet pizza, okay? A lot of pizzeria use pizza with Nutella, pizza with chocolate, with pizza with strawberry. We don't, we don't make. And that's a problem when you don't make something that everybody wants. We made simple pizza, right? Uh, margarita style, pizza with prosciutto, and another pizza with zucchini, zucchini yes. Um, Which is very popular. Um, Caramelized. Yeah, we made another one with eggplant and, and goat cheese. Uh, 
uh, we uh, our influence is it's Italian. So when I I, I decide to, to make a new flavor, I I search Italian flavors. Okay, I don't look Brazilian flavors, and then we adapt uh, adapt with the local products. Ninety percent it's local. We have uh, some some products we don't have the flower in Brazil. We don't have a, 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 the same um, quality like in Italy yet, but I think in the in the next two or three years, Brazil is going to produce an excellent flower that we don't need to buy Italian flower. Brazil produce amazing olive oil. The problem is the price now. The the pro the production is, is is too small production, so the price is five or six times more, and we we, we can use because we use olive oil in fifty percent, sixty percent of the recipes. So it's, it's it's a huge difference when you use a local olive oil. But maybe in ten years or in twenty years, Brazil is going to have that quality. And, uh, and and a huge production and the price is going to be similar. What really is Brazilian pizza to you? Is it using what's around you in Brazil to make really great pizza or following this old tradition of what Brazilian pizza has been? Here we, we have a cheese that um, the name is it's Catupiry. A lot of pizzeria, traditional pizzeria, use the Catupiry in a... a, a in a lot of pizza that they have in the, in, the, in the menu. That's maybe when I think in Brazilian pizza, for me, it's a pizza with catupiry that we don't have here in Carlos. It's a it's a it's like a cream cheese. And for me, it's a flavor that it, 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 it not uh, works with the pizza, with tomato, with the pizza. But it's something maybe because I'm not Brazilian. I'm from Argentina. So it's a flavor that I'm not, I, I never know. I discovered here when, when, when I arrived here in Brazil. So it's, it's, it's a flavor that uh, you have maybe to... To, to, to you grew up with. To, yes. Catupiry is not a cheese that first uh, first time you're going to be like, wow, it's delicious. You grew up with that. It's part of uh, your childhood. Catupiry, it's a brand. It's a cheese, but it's also a brand. So um, even even some pizzerias, it says it's catupiry. If you look at, at the product, it's not even catupiry, it's a creamy cheese, but it's, it's the same kind of the same recipe, but it's not even catupiry. So some pizzerias, for example, they are looking for the low cost instead of like selling something that what it actually is. It's something about the quality instead of just about the Brazilian style of pizza. For Luciana and you know, a few chefs are caring more about the farms and looking for better products to put in their restaurants. We have to change that buy everything from another countries and not looking here. There's a Brazilian saying, voce esta, coma facha, queijo no mile, which loosely and poorly translates to you're with the knife and the cheese in your hand in other words everything is in your favor it all just depends on you we're going to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors we'll be right back 
Today's episode is brought to you by Uni. There's nothing easier than ordering a pizza for delivery. It's the waiting around that's hard. But with the new Uni Karu 16, making your own pizza is even faster than delivery. It takes only 15 minutes to fire up your oven to proper temp, and then in 60 seconds, your pie is done. 16 minutes, oven door to table. Even the bike delivery guy from a few blocks over can't have a piping hot pizza to your door that quick. Sometimes I want a wood smoked margarita, and other times I'm looking for a New York slice. With the Karu 16's multi-fuel option, you not only get that instant gratification of a great Neapolitan pie, but you can choose how you want to cook it too, with wood, charcoal, or gas. Now, get off your apps, close your computer, and get out your uni. It's time for pizza. Learn more at uni.com backslash modernistpodcast. That's O-O-N-I dot com backslash modernistpodcast. I've been to Japan at least half a dozen times and only had pizza once in Tokyo. Why? Well, because there's sushi and ramen and so many other foods within Japanese cuisine that I wanted to try and I've already had pizza, so why try it there? Nathan best explained it to me about what's happening in pizza in Japan as steampunk, a retro-futuristic look at something we think we know so well. In Kyoto, Yoshiro Omai is serving pizza as part of an omakase meal at Monk. Pizza toast, aka pizza tosto, is like the Japanese version of a pizza bagel. But it's Tokyo's study of Neapolitan pizza that has captured the country's attention. Nathan ascertains. You know, Japan got pizza as an export from the United States. There are a number of international chains there, including Pizza Hut and uh, Domino's. And they also developed their own unique sets of toppings and other things that at least they think make sense within their own flavor universe. But that's not why I went. I went because there's a very Japanese process of studying a craft to an extreme degree in order to master it. Now, from what I know of Japanese cuisine and having been there a handful of times, they are very much into this idea of Italian cuisine. But they have uh, itameshi and wafu, which are these combinations of the two cultures. Did you find pizza in Japan to be Japanese in any way? Well, okay, it depends on what you mean by pizza in Japan. If you take pizza in Japan in the broadest sense, yes, there are plenty of Japanese pizzas that you get typically at chain pizzerias, but also at some Italian restaurants uh, in Japan, which are uh, a a mashup. So they would have tamari, uh, soy sauce, um, and uh, squid, and a variety of other things, uh, seaweed, things that make sense within a Japanese flavor palette that are certainly not traditional for... um, uh, for pizza. There absolutely are those, but that wasn't the case with this small school of pizza makers or pizzolos in uh, Tokyo. They had pretty much 
decided that they were going to follow an Italian model with perhaps some a few of their own tweaks. But several of these places only have two pizzas, marinara and margarita. So it's pretty hard to say, oh yeah, they were doing their own thing. When they decided to be more restrictive about the definition of pizza even than Italians. Ivan Orkin is a Long Island Jew that's been a Japanophile most of his life. He first made a name for himself by opening up a ramen shop in Tokyo to much acclaim before bringing his noodle bowls back to the Big Apple. Now, he's studying pizza. He most recently had a pizza shop in Manhattan called Corner Slice, but now wants to go back to Japan and reclaim his fame there, this time with pizza. I became much more aware of pizza when I was in my uh, my late 20s and 30s, uh, and I will happily say that I frequented Totono a lot when it was still the old cranky guy. We would go there pretty regularly. We would ride the cyclone three or four times in a row, and then we would go get pizza at Totono in uh, Coney Island. I'm a, a, a Japanophile, uh, you know, major Jap- uh, in Japanese in college, and my my persona long before I became famous for having a ramen shop was just always Japan. It's been this way since I'm 15. And uh, I remarried a, a Japanese gal in uh, 2002. And we, uh, we decided to move from Brooklyn to, uh, uh, to Tokyo uh, with our kids. Uh, she had one and I had one. And we, we decided to, uh, she had a great job there. So we returned to Japan. And, uh, and then lots of adventures uh, 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 came out of that. I mean, I made noodles there for years. And uh, the access to really well-made flour is a joy. So if you want to make something out of flour... You know, you know, you sit down with a flower salesman and he has, you know, 30 varieties or 40 varieties and all different uh, textures. Some are milled really finely. And so, you know, uh, when you when you talk about ingredients and you talk about things that would, you know, that would enhance uh, making a really good pizza, you know, being having the having the choices of, of a properly milled flour. Right, because the Italians will talk about double O and how important it is. Well, in Japan, you not only have double O, but you could also have, you know, whole grains that are also milled as finely, so that you could add in uh, a whole grain flavor pop uh, while keeping that texture that you want for for pizza. Italian food has been popular in Japan for just a really, really long time, and. There's many cuisines that, uh, uh, you know, that have been adopted by the Japanese. I mean, Italian food does marry really nicely with Japanese food. And so, the, you know, because a lot, of Jap- a lot of Italian food is really just one or two ingredients made really well, really simply, sprinkle of salt, a little drizzle of olive oil. And there are definitely a lot of Japanese uh, Italian restaurants in Tokyo that, you know, will, you know, take... A, a fish, you know, from, you know, a, a freshly caught, you know, somewhere and then, uh, and then, or a little tiny uh, dried fish and make a risotto with them. The only thing it, it's, it's sort of Italian food, but it's a lot of times it's very decidedly uh, uh, Japanese ingredients. You know, for me, I'm, I'm for pizza. I'm just sort of an old school guy generally tend to like, you know, a, a, a red sauce with mozzarella have you ever considered going back to Japan and becoming the pizza king of Japan? I keep threatening my wife. 
And then she just says, so what are you going to do? You're going to be 70 year old, years old and standing in the pizza shop every day making pizza? She's like, I don't see it. But uh, who knows? Bungo Koneko has been making pizza in Japan for nearly a decade and a half. Six years ago, he visited Savoy in the Zabu Juban neighborhood as a customer. He was so touched and inspired by the marinara pizza that he started working there. Maho Hisakawa translates. In many pizza places in Japan, marinara pizzas aren't ordered that much. But this marinara was so simple and just so good. It's really hard to explain. For 13 years, until COVID, it was just marinara and margarita. Why just those two? What was that choice? We hold pride in the pizza dough, and so the simple toppings of marinara and margarita allows the customers to enjoy the crust and the dough, which is the uh, the basis of our pizza. The stretching of the dough, uh, the amount of olive oil that we put on the pizza at the end, it's a bigger amount than many other pizza stores. Uh, the number one um, difference is the salt. So instead of adding salt to the tomato sauce, we add salt, we sprinkle salt on before it goes into the oven, onto the whole pizza. And that gives a punch, a punch to the whole pizza. And then the oven temperature is the last element. What, what is the oven temperature that you bake at? About 510 degrees Celsius. So then how are these pizzas so different than Neapolitan style in Italy? The dough is pretty much the same or similar to Neapolitan pizza from Italian. Um, But the biggest thing is probably the salt. We sprinkle salt even into the wood-fired oven and... I feel like we use salt much more abundantly. So in Italy, that is the crust isn't supposed to be touched as we stretch the dough. But in Savoy, we, we do touch and stretch the crust. You know what I love about my experience at Savoy is that it's very intimate. You get to see everything going on right in front of you. And what's so great about you is the way you interact with customers. T- tell me about how that's important to you. 
There are uh, many foreigners who live there, but there are also many um, tourists who come through. And starting with an opportunity of um, some foreigners coming in and saying, oh, can you take some photos with me? Um, that was somewhat of a beginning of um, more of an interaction with, with the customers. And I connect with some um, people who've been there through Instagram. The word omotenashi, what does that mean to you? Omotenashi is a very difficult um, word to define. Um, I feel more like a pizza maker. However, it's really important for me for the customers to have a great experience. And that is almost more important than um, the customers really enjoying the food. Mm. So this is a, a very personal um, opinion or perspective that I have, but the customers, more than them leaving um, the store thinking, saying that was delicious, I would like them to leave saying that was a really great experience and an awesome memory that I'll treasure. That feels more important to me. What do you see as the future of pizza in Japan? In Japan, some of the national dishes are sushi and ramen, and pizza isn't currently one of them. But I would like to see um, pizza become one of the national foods. Follow Bungo at Angie.mu. That's A-N-G-I-E dot M-I-E-U-X on Instagram. And go visit him in Savoy. And please say hi for us. On the 38th floor of the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Nihonbashi, Daniele Kaysen, a Roman chef, has brought pizza to new heights. The signage for the restaurant looks like a street sign from 38th Street in New York City, but the pizza is certainly not by the slice. Though it's something more akin to pizza alla pala, it's served as circular personal pies with an individual experience. We have opened seven years ago. It was it was a dream for me to come to Japan and, and be part of this project. The former management um, wanted to use this uh, counter that uh, was located on, 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 on the 38th floor, which uh, wasn't used. Japan is very renowned for counter experience. And um, the location of this counter with a pizza oven behind was just uh, uh, the perfect mix. I'm, I'm from Italy, from Rome, uh, and uh, pizza has always been very much into my life since I was uh, a teenager. Um, in, in Rome, uh, when, when, when you go to school, your mom gives you a piece of pizza bianca, uh, which is like a white uh, pizza unseasoned, without toppings. It's your merenda, it's your breakfast. And then 
as soon as you got out of the school, you, you stop again at the pizza shop to, to get a small piece of pizza before dinner. So pizza is a, it's an all-day-long presence, basically. The type of pizza that I'm, I'm referring to, it's called uh, pizza alla pala, uh, which is a pizza that is uh, baked in advance, and it's sold by meter or by square. So you're having those um, counters with a, with a glass vitrine and several types of pizzas with different condiment. Um, and the pizza, it's nice and um, very airy and, and light um, and can just be lightly reheated and, and it's delicious. Well, in, in, in fact, uh, we got inspired from the Pizza La Pala, but we have created a... Um, a pizza that is it's unique for the pizza bar. What what I did at the time was uh, I, I went back to Rome and I and I went to visit an old friend of mine. Uh, his name is Gabriele Bonci. We went to culinary school together, and I and I I spent some time with him in his lab uh, in in Rome. I I wanted to feel uh, what it's like to do pizza la pala at a high level. My background is chef. I've been I've been cooking for for twenty years, uh, in, in in fine dining mostly. So pizza is purely a, a passion for me. When I was tasked to do this project, I thought, let me talk to someone who does pizza for a living. Yes. So the the ingredients are um, one of the key elements of the pizza bar. Being just a counter for eight, we have the fortune and to afford high quality ingredients. Um, starting from the dough. For the dough, we use five different kinds of um, Italian flowers. They are from Piemonte. Uh, it's from a, a mulino um, called uh, Marino. We uh, use even wa- Italian water. We use some Pellegrino water. So 100% of the ingredients inside the dough are Italian. Tomatoes for the sauce are from Italy. We use tomato from Puglia from an area called Il Tavoliere, very renowned for the quality of tomatoes. And we use uh, fresh tomatoes from Japan. Um, In Japan, the quality of the tomatoes is superior. It's very, very high. We use cherry tomatoes, but we remove the skin so that you really enjoy the flavor of the tomato. For the cheeses, we use cheeses from from Italy, um, from the buffalo mozzarella, um, and all the cheeses, they are all from Italy. You know, are you towing the line of being Italian-Japanese or Japanese-Italian hyphenate? Well, I, I feel, you know, after eight years in Japan, um, and, uh, and this is also what we want to um, show to the guests when they come to the pizza bar. Of course, the flowers and the cheese are, are, are from Italy, although occasionally we use, we use some high-quality mozzarella from Tokyo or from Chiba Prefecture. For the vegetables, for the fruits, we definitely want to use Japanese produce because fresh is better. So even if uh, me being Italian national, in, in Japan, I, I, if I want to provide quality, I, I, I believe that the, the best way is to procure fresh product. And Japan is renowned for the quality of the vegetable, of the fruits. For example, we offer um, a sweet pizza. It's always on the menu, which change seasonally. So in, in winter, we offer with Japanese strawberries, 
In summer, we do mango, Japanese mango with passion fruit, which are incredible. At the moment, uh, we are doing a, a seasonal pizza with a Japanese fig, black fig. The skin is black, the inside is red. Very, very sweet with some prosciutto and gorgonzola. I feel we are in between, you know, in between Italy, but we are in Japan. So our pizza are Italian and our dough is 100% Italian. And that is not most likely going to change. But for the toppings, we love to use Japanese ingredients whenever we can. You know, in, in the past, we had a, a collaboration with a fisherman from Hokkaido. And we built a, an entire uh, pizza course menu uh, using all uh, scallops and sakura maso, which is like a type of salmon from, from Hokkaido. Using abalone, we do a, a promotion with the Japanese mushrooms. And even if they are not identical to the Italian, but mushrooms on pizza are, are just a, a winner. Well, let's talk lastly about the counter that you mentioned at the top of this discussion and the sense of omotenashi. Can you define what that is and how being seated at an eight-person pizza counter is very different than any other pizza experience? I think the main difference is the, is the interaction. This is the key word. The, the guests are seated very um, close to the, to the pizza oven, and the pizzaiolo is, is like an artist at this moment explaining what, he, what he's doing. So the guests have a... Uh, it's, it's like a live show. The, the pizza is prepared in front of you. It's explained to you. You get to feel the ingredients. You get to touch them sometimes. The pizzaiolo might give you a small piece of pizza dough because he wants you to feel how light it is. All of that creates a sense of intimacy, which makes the pizza bar experience different and, and unique in a way. Okay, pizza. An Italian saying that literally translates to, what a pizza, but in reality means, how boring. Is that how we think of pizza in Italy? Stayed, tired, idling away. Well, that couldn't be farther from the truth. When Franco Pepe's grandfather opened a bakery in the small city of Caiazzo, Caserta, in 1931, no one expected it to become one of the most famous pizzerias in the world, except for Franco Pepe. His margarita spagliato, or wrong margarita, served at his restaurant Pepe and Grani, is now revered and replicated in pizzerias worldwide. Faccio una precisazione. Uh, io sono nato ne... When my father opened our pizzeria, so let's say the first years of my life, I lived in his pizzeria because my father used the pizzeria like it was our own home. So my father had this intuition and broke away from his grandfather's bakery and went into the piazza to create his first pizzeria, Stefano Pepe's Pizzeria, in 1961. When I broke away from the family business and created Pepe and Grani, the first thing was to use the territory, my own territory, on the pizza. I observed the farmers who, with my support, have become working agricultural businesses, and I brought them onto my disc of dough. So for me there was something, my departure from the family business had to testify, a turnaround, something different. I realized there is a great deal of attention on pizza, and therefore I had to provide a different concept. Un'inversione di tendenza, un, un qualcosa di diverso. Io 
ho lavorato su una formazione diversa. L'idea mia era scomporre I've worked on a different formation. My idea was to break it down, break out of the traditional schemes, and break down the figure of the pizzaioli. What does it mean to decompose this model? While in the 70s and 80s, the identity of the pizzeria was identified in the physical figure of the pizzaioli. In fact, the pizzerias were named after the pizzaioli, as Damascelli, Damario. Everything was built on this, the one and only figure, the pizzaiola. Today, there's no pizzaiolo who will replace me, but there's a team of 13 to 14 people distributed between contributing to the counter, oven dough, and the kitchen. Altogether, they reproduce the identity of my pizza. That identity of the pizzeria is transferred from the physical figure to the plate. On the plate, there is the identity of the pizza of Franco Pepe. Tutti insieme mi riproducono l'identità della mia pizza. Ma quell'identità, quindi, della pizzeria che viene trasferita dalla figura fisica al piatto e mi ricordo la prima pizza che c'era nel menù nuovo è stato il sole nel piatto che I remember the first pizza that was on the new menu was the sole sul piatto sun on the plate which is a pizza that summarizes the campagna hinterland the sea and the coast with sentara anchovies buffalo mozzarella and oregano del matisse that was the first pizza i created for the new pepe ingrani menu but today there are pizzas that identify me like la margherita spagliato wrong margarita that has become a pizza that's traveled the world many pizzaioli around the world dedicated to me on their menu I've given value to a tomato that's grown three kilometers from the pizzeria, an ancient tomato, because the seeds date back to the 1800s. It's very rich in polyphenols, and therefore we add it cold after cooking the pizza. Today, there's so much attention on the raw material that the concept of the pizzeria has changed. Today, there's so much attention on the raw material that the concept of the pizzeria has changed. In 2017, Pepe added Authentica, a pizza tasting room which placed Pepe front and center at an oven behind an eight-seat counter, giving his customers the full 360 view of what pizza means to him. In Authentica, questo tavolo lo condivido io con i miei ospiti. In Authentica, I share this table with my guests. There's no room that divides me between the customer. While in the classic pizzeria, when you're seated at the table, the customer hardly interacts with the pizzaiolo. Instead, we're right in front of each other. I create the story of my pizza. There's a photo next to me at Authentica. It's a photo of my father from the 70s. With my father in that photo is a friend, and near the oven is a wooden table. And at that table, at the end of the evening, he shared it with a friend or a customer to talk about his pizza. So I dedicated the Authentica table. That idea of Authentica is dedicated to my father. And then I the of Authentica, that of Authentica, dedicated my Another familiar approach to pizza is that of Maso Miliano, Limo who grew up in Padua. His mother was the chef of Le Calandre, which opened in 1981. In 2003, a decade after Max took over the kitchen, he became the youngest chef in the world to receive three Michelin stars. It's been on the world's 50 best restaurants for over 10 years, and believe it or not, they also make pizza. At first, it was in the Muse Bouche, but now, Alimo has an Italian pen. Number 10201700002273 for a steamed crust concept, which can be found in many of his more casual restaurants. Abbiamo iniziato a osservare la pizza e cercare di capire una cosa che io non ho mai. 
We began looking at pizza to understand something I never quite comprehended. When you cook pizza and you arrive at 8 p.m. and another arrives at 10 p.m., you will have two different pizzas because the dough will have risen more or less. Then the leavening is interrupted and then covered, normally with tomato sauce, and put into an oven at 350, 380, or 400 degrees Celsius. The pizza is a compromise of various factors. Then, if to the pizza you add mozzarella or other ingredients, not all of them will cook evenly. So we tried to control the fermentation and then the leavening, stop the leavening at the ideal point for us, and create a first phase of cooking or a stabilization, taking advantage of the power push of water of steam. This allows us to reduce the amount of yeast to a very small amount making for lighter pizza that is easy to digest, and above all, the maximum expression of the ingredients or toppings. Yes, we have served pizza at Le Calandre, initially as a starter amuse-bouche, in part due to the fact that we have many international clients, and I thought it would be interesting to give them the opportunity to taste an interpretation of an Italian dish. And I must say, that from there we started serving more elaborate pizzas with raw meat, fish, caviar, or seaweed. We began coloring them, obviously using natural colorants that add flavor and perfume. We work with a master perfumer and we perfume our pizzas with natural ingredients. All of this initially at Le Calandre, which is our R&D laboratory. It has become our Italian expression and a way of thinking about the concept of pizza differently in full respect of its origins. Well, it's difficult to know what the future holds. I love to think about the present. There is a big fermentation, and fermentation is the perfect word in the world of pizza. I believe that we need to focus more attention on our choice of flour, ways of working with them to try to achieve even better expression of the earth, the land, the terroir, or authentic flavors, and there will certainly be all the interpretations or declinations, as rightly there should be, because growth comes from diversity. Poi ci saranno sicuramente tutte le declinazioni e le interpretazioni che giusto siano anche diverse, perché nel confronto che nasce la crescita. If variety is the spice of life, then Christina Bowerman is the pantry. Her signature style is recognizable by her neon pink hair and creative flair. Born in the small village of Serignola in Puglia, her family moved to Bari, the capital of the region. In her professional life, she lived in San Francisco and Austin as well, working to become an attorney before turning her attention to food at Glass Osteria in Rome. The way she's reimagined pizza toppings comes from the realm of molecular gastronomy. Well, let's uh, bring this up right now. Pizza is not my main, uh, the main thing that I do. I'm not a pizza maker. I also do pizza. And I had the opportunity of working uh, as a consultant or as a chef in uh, several uh, quite well-known pizzerias here in Italy. One of them is Giulietta. And um, uh, the way I got interested into pizza because it's impossible not to be while you are in Italy. Pizza is an expression of Italian cuisine, exactly like pasta, like meat, like anything else. 
So you're not a fully formed chef unless you know about pizza. That, it's such an interesting answer because do you find pizza to be on the same level as pasta? Pizza is the way that Italian cuisine expresses itself. I think that is uh, way underestimated. Pizza is uh, uh, an expression not only of uh, great capabilities in uh, producing incredible dough, but also the expression of creativity as far as the chef is concerned. So what's basically put on top. Pizza is one of the main, I would say, probably most popular expression of Italian cuisine all over the world. And uh, this that cannot be underestimated. Whenever I collaborate or I make pizza in a certain way, the topping needs to be matched and treated exactly as I would treat a high-end Michelin star dish in my restaurant. That's what I wanted to create a difference. I wanted to basically create a pizza that is like an edible dish. Now it's so uh, common and popular to talk about edible or eco-sustainable. Well, there's nothing else more sustainable than a pizza, I would say. I love that. No, that's that's. I've always talked about it as a vehicle, but not necessarily as a plate and utensil itself. Absolutely, absolutely. Pizza is the most eco-sustainable dish that you can ever come across. You not only eat what's on top, but you also eat the container. I know when modernist cuisine came to visit you, they were really blown away with your use of seafood on pizza. Octopus and swordfish are very popular in Italy. Uh, they are generally treated as uh, a standalone dish. So, for instance, uh, swordfish is grilled and served with uh, many different, you know, sauces. And octopus, oh my God, is like probably the most manipulated cephalopod that you can find in Italy. But what I wanted to, to do is to create a pizza that kind of like brought you back, you know, what we were saying earlier. You use the pizza as a dish. So I thought in my mind, what, what would I like to have as a seafood pizza on, uh, uh, as a topping? And so those seafood pizza, for instance, that I ate was with, uh, with the pesto. The way that you cook the sea, the, the octopus was, uh, uh, low cooked, but so with a, an immersion circulator, and then emerged in uh, into a green sauce, and then the pecorino cheese that was on top. I thought it was uh, uh, very much an expression of what the south of Italy, where I come from. Bill Bowerman is trying to change how a pizza looks. She's also trying to change what pizzaiolos in Italy look like as well. I mean, if you can count on uh, one hand, actually half of your hand. How many pizza makers there are in Italy? Uh, female pizza makers. You would see there are basically almost none. There are like maybe one or two. I can think of Marcia Buzanka is one of them, but that's pretty much it. I mean, a pizza maker is always identified as a man, never as a woman. Probably because, uh, I don't know, uh, that's the way that tra tradition would uh, allow people to be. But um, the fact that I was one pizza maker and I was a female chef, uh, I think uh, kind of like on, on, on one hand, 
uh, people were very much interested into it. On the other hand, were all already ready to shoot me down. So uh, I think that Giulietta's was very successful because of the encounter between a high-end cuisine and a pizza-making style that was um, honestly among the best that I've ever met. Did it allow you to then break and bend the rules more so than maybe a male pizzaiolo? Definitely, yes, but not because of my pizza-making background, but because of my chef background. So because I was a Michelin star chef on one hand, I was allowed to break the the rules. But that was, uh, I I thought it was an advantage point so that I was allowed to do things that otherwise people, other pizza makers would have not been allowed to do. In fact, if you go uh, around here in Rome or in Milan, but let's say in Rome or Naples, you can find that the most successful pizzas are the most traditional ones. And people do not, um, it's very difficult that people choose something different. But whenever they come to my pizzeria, they will feel comfortable enough to choose something else because there was a name and a career standing behind as a chef and not as a pizza maker. I know it's difficult to understand and maybe I'm not expressing myself the, the best way I could, but that's the way it works. It's like when you, whenever you go to a restaurant, a high-end restaurant with a, a well-known chef, maybe you are more willing to choose dishes from the menu that you have never chosen before or maybe ingredients that you have never tried before because you trust that chef. And that's the exact same thing that happened in the pizzeria. Bowerman is soon to open a new pizzeria, one that simultaneously focuses on Roman and Neapolitan-style pies. I think that uh, those are two different kinds of pizzas that uh, need to be present in any pizzeria that uh, wants to call itself as pizzeria. The Neapolitan style, the Roman style are absolutely wonderful both of them. A lot of people say that Napolitan style is really the real pizza. I'm not really sure about that. I truly believe that the two different pizzas require two different toppings and they are both as uh, uh, dignified as pizza um, all over the world. Well, what I would like to add is that pizza uh, has always been considered, unfortunately, uh, like a lower expression of what a chef can do. And uh, in reality, for me, I have never felt this way and I will never feel this way. Pizza is a great challenge as a chef. Trying to make a pizza perfect, not only from like a, a dough point of view, cooking point of view, serving, temperature and so on is an extremely difficult challenge for any chef. It's really difficult and I found it extremely fascinating. And also it has no limits, honestly. You can you can cross any kind of limit, border, culture, ingredient, and it's uh it's like a, an open space, you know. In the space between Venice and the Dolomites sits Pizzeria Dazio. Dennis Lovatel's mission to make his mark with mountain pies. His father, Ezio, started making pizzas in 1977. Dennis has now dedicated the rest of his life to the craft. 
Now, when did you start working at your father's pizzeria? When I didn't go to school, I was still helping my parents, uh, especially in the weekend. And uh, I did this all my life, sacrificing my youth. But uh, now I don't regret it at all. <laughs> so <laughs> sacrifice for me was a great lesson in life, <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah, I, I did the same thing. I worked in a pizzeria in high school, yeah. and now I am working yeah. in pizza, you know, 25 years later. Yeah, so it's really I work all days in the evening when I was to school and in the weekend, every weekend, I forget disco, uh, I forget girlfriends, no girlfriend, only work in the pizzeria, nothing else. I'm very nice uh, place because I'm in the middle from Venice and Dolomites, Cortina d'Ampezzo. So... Uh, It means it's one hour from Venice, one hour from uh, Cortina by car, of course. And um, I'm very close to Valdo Biadene. This is the land of Prosecco, just a few kilometers from me. So I have three UNESCO heritage sites in my area. So it's really a beautiful area. We are uh, a hilltop village, a small village, and then we have uh, the Dolomites very close to us too. So is uh, we have nature <laughs> principles, so and the river. Now you mentioned to me before that pizza isn't a typical food of the region. What are typical foods? As you know, is uh, born in the south of Italy, but uh, uh, I think after. Uh, a lot of people from South Italy move in the north, in the center of Italy. So um, the pizza is a little bit change, adapt of uh, the single region, the single town where it's moving, because we have different ingredients. We have not the same ingredients of South Italy. We have a different philosophy. So, for example, in my area, it's not used to have a street food because it's very cold. We are in the mountain. At the moment, uh, we we work uh, with uh, our ingredients. It means uh, wild herbs and uh, many other things that we find in the local farmer. They are completely different vegetables from South Italy because it, South Italy, they, you find a lot of kind of tomatoes and uh, we have... A, so it's a complete little bit different. Also, the, the dough is different because Naples is a soft, typical Naples Napolitan-style pizza. In my case, is a thing and crunch, so it's a little bit different, completely different. Well, in Naples, they call it Neapolitan pizza, and we know that the world over, but I hear this term mountain pizza, and I wonder yeah. what it means to you. Okay, mountain pizza, because when I started, I say I would like to make my pizza, so to give my identity on the pizza so it, for me it was an idea to realize something different so at, at the beginning i start with the water we are using a natural spring water from a, a river very close to us that is falling from the mountains and so this is a special water very clean and with a lot of salt mineral inside so it gives this special crunch effect taste to in our pizza to don't use salt inside the dough i'm a sportman so i'm looking also the uh, healthy feeling so i start to eliminate the the salt in the dough and i substitute the salt with um, some special dried uh, wild herbs from the mountain that they give the sapidity to the to my pizza 
So it's really something special. And then after, if we're talking about uh, toppings, I use, uh, uh, of course, wild herbs a lot, vegetables, mushroom. We have a lot, a lot of different kinds of mushroom. Of course, in my area, there is also a long tradition of cheese, fresh and whole cheese. We have also a lot of animals because there are battery here, tradition. So a lot of people here in my town are uh, hunters. So we have uh, a different kind of uh, wild animal meat. Lovatel went on to list an array of wild herbs and local cheeses he procures for his pizzas. Okay, allora, pimpinella, tarassaco, radicchio di montagna, origano di montagna, timo, abbiamo asparagi selvatici, mentuccia, poi abbiamo pecorini, abbiamo uh, blue cheese, quindi uh, erborinato, in italiano qui sei erborinato, Molti affinati al vino, quindi abbiamo formaggi affinati al vino, al, al prosecco, al vino rosso e direi alla, abbiamo l'asiago invecchiato e asiago fresco e abbiamo il grana padano che fa parte comunque del center of Italy. Pizza has always been considered a food that serves to create only a physical experience. It fills you up. I also wanted to create a mental experience, not only a physical experience. The pizzeria should no longer be considered a place of passage by eating a quick food, but it had to be also a destination place. So the people, my customer, have to take the car and come to me for an experience, like a Michelin star restaurant, uh, but within everyone's reach. So the people trust us and ask us what we offer. Sometimes uh, our menu is not static, but dynamic. We always have different and limited proposal of the day depending on what the nature offers us at that, at that moment. So when they ask me who has made the, this menu, and so we say two of us, me and uh, nature. Lovatel highlights Bacalaur salt cod on a pizza, a specialty of the region. There's his taken carbonara made with pancetta and pecorino, but also salt cured egg yolk shaved on top, which look like Bortarga. Lovatel keeps pushing boundaries, but what's the next step for Mountain Pizza? Well, that's Dennis. I have a project that we start in Myla in a month and uh, will be uh, the synthesis of my thoughts on the world of pizza and its future. Uh, we will be called Dennis, like me. So the idea is to transform a food, considered fast food, into a smart food. This is my idea. Pizza is one of the most consumed dishes in the world, especially by younger generation millennials. So why not use this dish to teach young people something and to improve their approach to food and impact it as on the environment? So I would like to educate them on seasonality. It's not acceptable that in 2022, kids go into a pizzeria and find the same vegetable topping at any time of the year. They have no perception of seasonality and local ingredients. So uh, we need to educate also to use what would normally be food waste, giving importance to food in all of its nuances. Let's transform what is widely considered a fast food dish into in a healthy and sustainable one that has a balanced calorie intake. In our case, we have our own farm where we produce everything we need for our pizza. So this is really, we produce uh, organic vegetables, 
organic meat uh, and everything for our pizza. Uh, so for me, the future will be quality at first and uh, innovation, of course, but uh, I think we substitute in the future more uh we use more uh, veg- vegetable protein instead of animal protein. So more vegetarian pizza will be in our menu in the future. Enzo Kochi is centered in Naples. His family's from there. His oven's from there. And both have been there for hundreds of years. How can someone so immersed in the pontifical nature of pizza culture not only be aware of his surroundings, but change them therewith? Kochi is often referred to as the maestro dell'impasto, commands such recognition. The first time I ate pizza, I was really a child, because my dad had a pizzeria in the historic center of Naples, and it still exists today. It's Pizzeria Fortuna. My mom took me when I was little, maybe three or four years old. We lived opposite the pizzeria. I made my first pizza when I was 12 and a half, 13. However, the counter was really high and I didn't reach. It was oil and tomato, garlic, oregano, a marinara. The marinara is the cheapest. At the time, if you got the pizza wrong, you didn't have to throw away the mozzarella. For Kochi, pizza has always been rooted in family. So when he opened up La Notizza in June of 1994... He made sure to respect those relations, but also make a name for himself. No, io praticamente rispetto ad altri colleghi pizzaioli. Compared to other pizzaioli, I tried to make a quality pizza in those years. One that had excellent digestibility and products with the highest quality. And so I was a bit of an innovator of quality in Neapolitan pizza. It's the process of traditional Neapolitan pizza that my dad passed on to me. It's not mine, it's the history of Naples. A dough with ingredients in succession a processing of 22 to 25 minutes, a slow speed of the mixer, and room temperature leavening, of at least 16 to 18 hours, minimum temperature outside the fridge. The fridge arrived in the pizzeria towards the end of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s, so before the dough was made only in a natural way and not with the cold technique. We have classic Neapolitan ovens that have 250 years of history when the first pizzerias in Naples were born. I've never cooked a pizza in a gas oven or an electric oven in my entire life. But what Kochi has done is take cues from the past, from dishes that were never meant to top pizzas. There's bacalao and escarole, a reinterpretation of a historical recipe from 1873. Then there's coastal inflections, like lemons from Sorrento, and a grilled ingredient inspired by the tiny island of Procida. Si, sí, uh, la pizza al limone. The lemon pizza is a pizza that's made with grated Sorrento lemon and the pizza exits from the oven with smoked buffalo mozzarella, chives and anchovies from Sentara. Procidana, on the other hand, is made with grilled cherry tomatoes cooked on charcoal. It's made with buffalo scarmozza, garlic, parsley, oregano. It has a smoky flavor. For me, Enzo Cochia represents the story of my nonna, my father's story, the story of my children who do this job. Identity and history of the city in Naples. Being proud to be happy is to be happy with your work, in the world, and in contact with people. Think how sad it is when you do another job. 99% of people who come to the pizzeria come to be happy, to feel good, 
And yeah, to enjoy an evening with friends, relatives, parents, boyfriends, girlfriends, to stay together. This is the concept of the pizzeria for me. It's the concept that for 2,000 years, men, women, children, the elderly, gather around the table and talk and feel good and look into each other's eyes. And then they're also good from a culinary point of view. When we cook, we do it in two ways. We can do it because we have to do a job and therefore we have to have an economic feedback. But if we do a kitchen with love, a kitchen is a social act. I believe that practically the world will get closer and closer to pizza, to a pizza that represents nature, a pizza that respects the ingredients, a sustainable pizza, a pizza that looks to the future. Pizza is a unity of people, producers, customers, friends, workers, pizzaioli. It's a whole world of unity around one pizza. As it happens, everyone likes pizza. The problem is, everyone has to make it even better. Amici, operatori, pizzaioli e l'unità del mondo intero attorno a una pizza. Guarda caso che la pizza piace a tutti, il problema è che la devono fare tutti quanti sempre più buona. Can pizza bring us all closer together? I hope so. I'm sure there are great pizzas in Africa, Asia, Australia, and certainly Norway, where they eat the most pizza per capita. Tell me about your favorite international places as we're scanning the globe again for season two. I hope to see you again somewhere around this world of pizza. Thank you to our sponsors, Uni, Baking Steel, guest Ricardo Elmoso, Martin Osmendi, Fernando Greco, Raffaele Mosacioli, Paul Cho, Luciano Nardelli, Ivan Orkin, Bongo Caneco, Daniele Cason, Franco Pepe, Massimiliano Alimo, Christina Bowerman, Dennis Lovatel, and Zocochi. Translators Giovanna Mangabera, Elizabeth Thacker Jones, Marissa Huff, Maho Isakawa. Music by Kara Cleveland Sings, Jack Inslee, our engineer. Our logo and episode art by Jenny Acosta, and of course, Modernist Cuisine. In our last episode, EP10, Takeaway, we'll take our pizzas to go box them up, freeze them, and then ship them straight from Naples. We'll write about them to pen pals, attend pizza school, work with pizza charities, and talk to the next generation of pizza makers. Oh, we'll also read some kids lit about pizza because I believe the children are the future, and maybe so is pizza in space. This episode is brought to you by Baking Steel, a company that's moved pizza out of the Stone Age. Baking Steel founder Andres Lagsden, a lifelong cook who worked the famed pizza oven at Figs in Boston, is also a member of a steel manufacturing family in Stoughton, Mass. As luck would have it, he managed to find an ingenious way to make these two careers intersect 10 years ago while listening to an interview with Nathan Mirvold, founder of Modernist Cuisine. Mirvold mentioned that when it comes to pizza, steel may be better for conductivity than a brick oven stone. With that in mind, Lagson fabricated a quarter-inch thick piece of steel and took it home for a test drive. The simple idea has revolutionized pizza making at home, putting restaurant-style artisan pies within reach out of a conventional oven. It all comes down to science. The baking steel is able to cook a pizza even more evenly than stone because it retains its heat. It helps maintain the overall heat of the oven, which means quicker recovery times and more consistent cooks. The baking steel gives you the best control for your bake and lets you finally make the crusts you crave. Learn more about Lagston's story in episode 7, which covers ovens and equipment, or visit bakingsteel.com and use code MCPizza for a 10% discount on a baking steel of your own.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.